Good morning. Have you ever made excuses for something? To get out of something? Um, maybe if you um, ever forgot your homework, you possibly went to school and used the most common excuse for not having your homework, which is my, my dog ate it. Exactly. I never actually used that excuse. Um, and nowadays, you already know this, students, uh, teachers in the house, nod your heads if this is true, as if I can see you, but um, students are a lot more creative today, aren't they? They have come up with so many more excuses. There was a survey done of fifth grade teachers, and they asked the teachers, share with us the most memorable and creative excuses you've heard of, from your students about homework, and I've brought some to share with you. Here we go. My dad forgot to do it for me. By the way, if you're a, if you're a teen or a preteen or even a college student, this is the part where you want to take notes because you want to write these down and probably use them at some point. Let's just keep going. I didn't have time because we had a brand new dishwasher installed. That's something that needs to happen. My teeth itch. Who knew the teeth could itch and it could stop you from doing homework? A tornado sucked my homework right out of my mom's car. <laughs> it slipped out of my hands and blew away. That's also why I'm late to school. I was chasing it. I couldn't do my homework because my room is haunted. Not a dog, but a kangaroo ate it. And I think the last one's my favorite. My gator peed on it. There are so many things wrong with that last one. You have a gator, and your homework was close enough for him or her to pee on it. Um, so listen, we, we laugh at those, and, but the reality is we grow up, right? We grow up, and we still make excuses. And so this morning, we're going to be in Luke 14. We're going to see uh, Jesus confront some of these excuses. I want you to be in, get your Bible, get your Bible app. If you have neither one of those, they'll be up on the screen. We're going to read verses 15 through 24. Luke 14, verses 15 through 24. You follow along with me while I'm reading it. When one of those at the table had heard, who, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. And then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Everybody say full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Now, I'm going to 
just kind of, this will be a little bit different this morning. Um, I'm going to kind of help you understand the setting of all this, what's going on. I'm going to help you understand the parable, and I'm going to give you some takeaways, okay? Um, but let me, let me point out three very specific phrases. We'll have these up here on the screen for you as well. Three very specific phrases. In verse 18, it says, they all began to make excuses. My gator peed on it, right? They all began to make excuses. Verse 19 Let me highlight two phrases. One, there is still room. And then go so that my house will be full. Everybody say full. So let me take those three phrases. That was awful. Everybody say full. Man, I'm wound up. You got to help me out today, okay? Let me take those three phrases, and I'm going to mash them together, do a little bit of um, sermon, preacher, magic stuff, and poof, a big idea is going to pop out. Are you ready? Here's your big idea today. Heaven will be full of people who aren't full of excuses. Heaven will be full of people who aren't full of excuses. Now, our first reaction to a statement like that could be horror because we've already said this. All of us make excuses all the time. But I want us to dig a little bit deeper in this passage, okay? See what Jesus is getting at how it fits into this lost and found theme that we have going on that we've been looking at the last few weeks. So let's just talk through the setting of this parable. The setting of this parable. Uh, Context is king when it comes to understanding the Bible. So you will get in trouble if you just read the Bible and pick out a verse that you like and forget everything else. So when you're reading the Bible, just a little Bible study 101, and you're reading a passage, it's good to know what came before it, what comes after it, how it fits into the whole context have you ever stepped into a movie halfway through? Wait, let me rephrase that. Have you ever been with somebody who stepped into a movie halfway through? And didn't they drive you nuts? Like, what does that, what does that mean? Why does she say that? Context is king. Why don't you rent the movie sometime on your own time and just watch the whole thing because I'm already into it, right? So that's why we already know the context is important. Somehow when it comes to the Bible, we like to pick and choose. But context is important. So let's talk about what's going on here. If we don't know why Jesus says something and who he says it to, it's easy to miss what he's trying to say. So let's make sure we understand. Back up um, Luke 14, the very first verse, what we find is that everything that we're reading today is still part of the Sabbath dinner that Jesus is at with Pharisees and religious leaders. Last week, Adam did a good job showing us when the man was healed. Remember the man with dropsy, right? And he was healed at this exact same banquet, this same meal. And the leaders got upset because it had been done on the Sabbath. And that set off a couple of illustrations that Jesus gave last week when Adam was preaching. He was sharing us with this. And both of those illustrations centered around tables and feasts and meals. Each of them dealt with humility. Each of them dealt with pride. And it climaxed here with one man in, our, in verse 15, one man who kicked back at the end of all of those illustrations from Jesus, and he said this, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. But here's what he was really saying. Blessed is the man. I am the man. Blessed is the man who will sit and eat at that table. Have you ever had people in school or maybe where you work now, they are so full of themselves that, like, if the, if the leader just gave a scathing rebuke to everybody in the room 
And everybody in the room knew that it applied to everybody in the room. But there's always that one person who's like, I am so glad you finally told all these people that. They have needed to hear this for so long. I I prayed this morning that you would preach about that today because they need this. That's what this man was like. Jesus just, I mean, he just told these two stories that we heard last week from Adam about how we shouldn't be prideful, that we should have humility, that humility should lead the way. And then this man, in his response to Jesus' teaching on humility, says, oh, blessed, blessed is the man, the one who will take part in that. And that's the context. That's where we find ourselves. That prideful response kicked off this next illustration about a banquet. So here's the parable that Jesus shares with these religious leaders, and specifically with that man who was full of pride. Let's just walk through it. Verse 16. Let's kind of go verse by verse. Um, The man prepares a great banquet, and he invited many guests. Now, how many of you have ever gotten a save-the-date card in the mail? Or you've sent one, okay? So back in this day, when you were going to throw a banquet, there were two invitations. Now, it's not quite like save the date, but it's close. They would let you know when the banquet was going to take place, and you would have to respond. Now, normally when you get a save the date card, it's just the bride and groom's way of saying, heads up, buy us stuff, right? Save the date and flip the card over because here's all the places that were registered, right? I like the people that get registered at CarMax. That's impressive, isn't it? Right? We're registered at CarMax. Never buy them a car, right? So... Save the date, that's what we do in our culture, but in this culture, they would, they would tell you the date, but they would also expect you to RSVP, however you did that back then, like, you know, hand it to the male person on the donkey and take it to them, whatever you would do. You would let them know, I got your invitation, and I'm down for that. I'm coming. That's the way this would work. Next verse, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. This was the second of two invitations. Now, he only sent the servant to the people who said that they were coming. Are you with me? Does it make sense? So one invitation goes out, hey, I'm having this huge banquet. would love for you to come. Let's just say he sends that out to 100 people, and 59 of them say that they're going to come. So this second invitation, the servant was only sent to those 59. He didn't even bother with the ones who, weren't, who said they weren't coming. He went to the ones who said that they would come. The banquet had been prepared based on the response of 59 people that said, I will be there. The food had been picked out. The drinks were ready. There was food for 59. And the servant went out to tell those 59, now it's time. Come on. Verse 18. But. Everybody say, but. But they all began to make excuses. Now, he's going to highlight three specific excuses. But the word I want you to underline is all. They all made excuses. Now, before we get to the excuses, can we just step into the owner's shoes for a second? Show of hands. This is interactive. I'm putting my hand up so I can see you. How many of you have ever thrown a party based on the number of people that said they were going to come and then less people showed up and you had a lot of food left over? Feel good about that? No. Because you worked. You worked hard based on the response of the people that said they would come. This man threw a banquet 
bought the food, prepared the food. It took a long time. There's a lot of work in this culture to throw a party, way more than our culture. And none of them came. Not one, because our word is all. They all began to make excuses. And here are the three excuses that Jesus highlighted. I believe he highlighted them because they apply to every one of us. One person said, I, I can't come. I just bought a field, and I've got to go see it. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I, I, I can't. I'm going to check them out. I can't come. Another person, I, I just got married, so I can't come. Now, I know what you're thinking. I don't have a field. I don't have oxen, and I've been married a long time. Or I'm not married, or I'm never going to get married, or whatever. So these don't apply to me. Yeah, they do. So let me just break it down, okay? Here's what they said. Uh, I can't come to the party because I have something to see, I have something to do, I have someone to be with. Something to see, something to do, something to be with. I have possessions, I have pleasure, and I have people that are more important than you. Now that applies to us. We may not get oxen and fields Donkeys, all that stuff. But we get possessions, pleasure, and people. Basically, what they're saying to this, this man who's throwing this party that they agreed to come to was, between the time that you announced the party and I said that I would come, until now, something better came along. In our culture, did you know that there are websites designed to give you excuses to use? There are dating websites. Some of the more popular pages are the ones that give you creative ways to get out of dates that you already made. Some of the more popular excuses to get out of a date that you've already made. I'm sick, because who would want to go on a date with a sick person, right? It probably helps if you hack while you say it. Someone else needs me. That, that one is one of the more popular because you can get out of the date, which means you're, I mean, you're kind of a jerk if you're breaking a date, but you can get out of it by saying that somebody else needs you. So now you're not just a jerk, but you're kind of a hero because you're like, my grandmother's sick. She needs me. My boss needs me to work late. My mechanic needs me to bring the car in so he can change my oil, Right? Somebody needs me. And if all those fail, if all those fail, um, I, I've got a clip I want to show you because it's just, if you can't think of anything else, it's just the Brady Bunch all over again. Let's roll that real quick. Something suddenly came up. 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 Um. I think that's from the 70s. If you have no idea what the Brady Bunch is, you've lived a sad existence to this point in your life. Best show ever. And probably if we went back and watched them now, we would just laugh at how cheesy they are. But something suddenly came up. That was how Greg advised Marcia to get out of a, a date. And then she used it. Other people used it. It went all the way around, the whole show. That's all they said. Something suddenly came up. Man, this is what these people are saying to the host. You invited me to come, but something suddenly came up. 
And even though I said yes, even though my yes costs you money to prepare the banquet, I'm out. They all began to make excuses. Verse 21, the host responds to the excuses. Listen, people making excuses, that's not the shocking part. The shocking part is how the parable is in the parable, how the host responded. And here's the part that's hard for us as church people to wrap our brains around. And this is really, really important because we're getting ready to head into the harder parts of Luke's 13, 14, and 15. Like you think today's tough. <laughs> Next week's going to be a blast, right? And in all of chapter 15, you've got to get this, okay? You've got to understand this statement. In this parable, what did the host not do? He didn't try to convince apathetic people to care. He just told his servant, go find other people. Listen, I know that's a hard word. Hang with me. It'll end better. But the church culture, we have bought the lie that it is my job as your pastor to convince you to care. But it's not. It's not God's job to convince you to care. Get what he's saying. Oh, you're not coming? Hey, servant, just go find other people. He went after different guests. And here's why, verse 22. After he'd gone to get more people, what did the servant say? But there is still room. Let me ask you this question. And I, I get this America. I get, I mean, our India people are back. So this is a whole um, different, you have a whole different take on this. Because every time I go to India, I'm like, dang, like they get 20 people and we're places where we would get five, right? So it's America here. So it's not that way here, right? We are a movie theater culture, right? There's still room. How do you see space? The chair that's beside you that no one's sitting in, how do you see that chair? Did you sit down and go, oh, thank goodness, I can stretch out, right? I mean, look, this is going to totally jack up the video. Sorry about that. But I'm an introvert, okay? So when I walk into a space, unless it's windy, unless it's windy, and I sit in a chair, good luck with this video guy. These chairs are really close together. Would you all agree? They are. And so here's what I usually do. Make sure I don't spill my water. Oh, oh, sorry. <sighs> that is so much better. Yeah, a little bit more maybe. I mean, so I, I get it. I get it, right? Like we need more space. But, but according to this parable, God wasn't happy with half full or almost full. The servant said, there's still room. And the response of the owner was, oh, that's okay, because like our, our invited guests that didn't come, they didn't show up. But you went out and got some other people, and they're here, and it's kind of full, and it feels good. It's critical mass has been achieved, and we can all kind of stretch out a little bit. He said, no, no, there's still room. Then go get more people. This empty seat, one of the 16,007 people in Albemarle. This one of the 16,007 people in Albemarle. 
This, one of the 16,007 people in Albemarle. You seeing a trend here? This, they're all souls. They're all souls. I'm just challenging the culture a little bit, right? And I know it. And again, I just want you to know, introvert, I, I like space. I, I don't, we don't go to the movies and walk in and go, oh, this is great. Like, there's nobody here but that couple in the third row. Let's go sit with them. Right? We don't do that. We walk in and go, this is great. They'll be up there and we'll be back here. Right? We are a movie theater culture. But man, God's going to have heaven and it's going to be full. It's going to be full. How do you see space? Do you see space as a luxury for you to relax and stretch out? Oh, thank, thank God it's not packed today. I can just, I got, I got a chair for my Bible. I got a chair for my coffee. I mean, sorry, Wendy. But I got a chair for this and that, and now I, I don't have to even sit by my spouse. I put my kids on the end of the row next to those other people that are strangers, and they'll take care of them. I mean, I'm in worship. I, I, always, I always chuckle. I always ask y'all to come worship me at the front, and then somewhere during worship I realize that I'm like this. That's why nobody comes. <laughs> they don't want to get hit in the face. I totally get it now. I, it makes tons of sense. We like space. I'm not trying to make us feel bad for liking space. I'm just saying, how do we see it? Do we see space for our comfort? Or do we see space as something that could be filled with a soul? Because in this parable, the owner said, if there's still room, go get more people. Because, and here's what I want you to get, because, verse 23, my house will be full. I love this quote from Lauren Triplett. Wendy showed me this in a magazine this week. Lauren Triplett was a, a, a veteran as soon as he got missionary to Nicaragua. He's passed away now. But he used to make this statement all the time. You don't measure yourself by your success. You measure yourself against the unfinished task. So I think sometimes we sit back and go, I've done pretty good. I, you know, I, our church is we're pretty big. Average church in America is 70. We win. But we don't measure ourselves against our success, but against the unfinished task. There are still 16,007 people in Albemarle. 65 to 70% of them don't know Jesus. How can we be happy with a half full party? This is what the parable, this is what Jesus is getting at. He's looking at a man who said, blessed is the one who sits at that table. And what Jesus is saying is, you're not blessed to be at the table if there's room for others to be at the table. Go get them. Bring them in. Heaven will be full. And then the saddest part of the story, verse 24, saddest verse, Jesus said, I tell you. And basically when Jesus would say things like, I tell you, um, I think in the King James he'll say stuff like, verily, verily. What he's saying is, hey, 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 wake up. Look at me, full attention right here. You don't need to forget what I'm getting ready to tell you. And here's what he said. Not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Not even a taste. Heaven will be full, but not with people who are full of excuses. 
Heaven will be full of people who aren't full of excuses. So now we've come to this really awesome interactive part of, this, of the message where you yell back at me, so what? Try it. Go. Man, you got into that part. You got into that. Some of y'all just woke up. It's fantastic. Like, he can't even see me anyway. I'm going to nod out right now. So what, right? I mean, that's the most important part of the message, every message. If, if we just preach and it sounds good and you're like, yeah, was, man, that's pretty good. Like, you know, out of, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm giving that one like a 7.95. Pretty good, you know, pretty good. It's a double. What a bunt. Wasn't really a home run, but it was good. If we just measure it that way, then we've missed the whole point. Jesus taught things so that people would say, so what? What do I do about that? What's the point of this parable? So clearly, Jesus is this parable. Jesus is the host, and he's making it abundantly clear that we, we're not getting into the banquet if we continue to make excuses. There is a priority to the kingdom that demands our intentional acceptance. Let me say that again. There is a priority to the kingdom that demands our intentional acceptance. So before we land this thing, let me give you some takeaways, okay? They're going to be on the screen for you. Just a few observations that I pull out of this parable. Here's number one. Speaking to all of us, right? Stop making excuses about your tendency to make excuses. I mean, that has got to be takeaway number one, right? Because some of you, I'm convinced, you're still sitting here and you're saying to yourself, I don't do that. I don't, I don't make excuses. And what I should say is just take a moment and ask the person that's sitting with you, do I make excuses? <laughs> and they would say, uh, making one right now, actually. So stop making excuses about your tendency to make excuses. This is, of all the, there's, there's a few things that humans do well. This is one of them, right? Adam and Eve made excuses. Aaron, uh, if, you, if you know your Old Testament, Aaron is leading the people while Moses is up on the mountain. Aaron takes all this gold and throws it into a fire, and then they pull out a, a, a golden calf, which became an idol. And when Moses came down from the mountain, he's like, Aaron, uh, how did we get this false god idol thing here? And Aaron made an excuse, and here's what he said. Uh, I don't know how that happened, boss. I just took all the gold and threw it in the fire and out popped this golden calf. To which Moses responded, what are you smoking? Right? Paul Jenkins' translation is probably not in the Bible. Peter made excuses by the fire about knowing Jesus. Moses made excuses about being a stutterer. We all make excuses, even you. Number two, if you want to stop making excuses, start taking responsibility. Own it. Own it. Our jacked up priorities are on us, not on our bosses, our spouses, our friends, or church. They are on us. Here's three. This one would make Bill O'Reilly proud, not that that can ever be a goal. The kingdom of God is a no-excuse zone. I mean, Bill O'Reilly made a living off of saying that he had the no-spend zone. Listen, the kingdom of God is a no-excuse zone. Romans 1.20 says this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his et et eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen 
being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. None of us. I mean, if you're here and you don't even love Jesus, you're not even without excuse because you woke up this morning and walked outside and saw creation. The very thing that Romans 1.20 says makes us without excuse because in creation, just in creation, and we don't have time to go into all of the ways that creation can show the greatness of God, we see God so that we are without excuse. The kingdom of God is a no-excuse zone. Nobody's getting in the kingdom making excuses. And here's the last one. Living without excuses means never living without hope. And I know right now you're thinking, this has not felt like a very hope-filled message, right? I get it. But look who got in. The broken, the lame, people who had nothing, they got in. The people who thought they deserved the party, out. The people who knew they never deserved it, in. And when we stop making excuses, we start to find hope. We can make excuses and be left out, or we can take responsibility and be brought in. Those are our choices. So now we're going to try to land it. Here we go. There are two people, two things that we need to consider as we close. Here's the first one. Are we making excuses about following Jesus? If you're here this morning and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I need to ask you this question. Are you making excuses about following Jesus? Well, I mean, I, I, I would follow him, but, you know, I just, I had a guy tell me one time, I, I don't want to follow Jesus. I was like, why not? If I follow Jesus, he's going to tell me to move out, and I'm living with my girlfriend, and I like it. And I said to him, you probably shouldn't follow Jesus because you're absolutely right. He probably will. Change your heart so that you find your true love in him and him alone and won't need to feel like you have to invalidate marriage by trying it out before you actually commit. And he went, that's not really what I was trying to say. I know what you were saying was there's things more important to you than Jesus. And he's going to transform your heart until he, he's all you want. Some of you are you're making excuses about following Jesus. Some of you in here are making excuses about finding others so that they can follow Jesus. That's the hardest part to me about this whole message. Is that the ones that it really applies to are not the broken. The ones who think they're not broken. It's the ones who feel like they did God a favor because you're sitting here today. And I'm, gl I'm glad you're here, by the way. <laughs> Super glad you're here. Like, if I was just preaching this to, like, Wendy, she'd be like, dude, time out. Let's just go get a donut. I mean, she'd hear it first, and then we'd get a donut. I'm really glad you're here. I don't want you to take it that way at all. But listen, we didn't do God a favor by showing up here. And so when we know that God's heart is to have a full heaven, then who is he talking to right now? What part in this story do we play? Believe it or not, I think that we play the servant role. And are we willing to go anywhere to find people and bring them in? Or do we make excuses about that as well? Oh, God, I, I, would, I would serve, but, you know, 
I just got oxen. I got to check it out. I got a brand new toy, God. I got a timeshare. I need to check that out, like, weekly. I just got, I just got a new relationship, God. Here's what God says to those of us that make those kind of excuses. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Revelation 2, 4 and 5. During worship, I feel like God told me, gave me this illustration, so I'm going to share it with you, okay? Um, Psalm 63, and then we'll wrap this up. Everybody take a deep breath. Okay, here we go. David's writing this, and he says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. My singing lips, my mouth, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. Listen to this verse. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Now, check this out. Um, I need help. Can I get help? Is that cool? Will you come help me, Wendy? All right, so um, just come stand here next to me. Now, w- Wendy and I, we're married. We're, we're married. So, okay. I didn't know if y'all knew that. I mean, if you're here for the first time, you're going to watch me make out with her in just a second. You'll be like, why is he doing that? Oh, no, that's part of the illustration. So, listen. When Wendy and I, I just, I just performed a wedding um, this weekend, so I'm, I'm, I'm in marriage mode. So when Wendy and I first got married, uh, well, um, first, when we got married, um, this is how we looked at each other. We, were, we held hands. I was all sweaty and stuff, and my armpits were moist, but she didn't know because I had on a big suit. Um, but here's how we held each other. I cling to you. It's awesome. Um, Parker and Will, are you here? Parker and Will are here. Are you both in the room? Will you come here? Will help? Come help me. They're home from college. What? They're also leaving after first service. Can you imagine this illustration? Second service, awkward. Okay, so, um, so Wendy and I were, were clinging to each other, and then we had twins. Come on, guys, squeeze in here. Is Sydney here? And then, then we had Sydney. Come on, Sid. Doesn't she look great? 
homecoming last night. Yeah, actually, City thinks she's the center of attention, but you were third. Come on, over here. <laughs> Sweet. So here we go. Here we go. Then God asked us to start a church. Do we have any elders in the room? Come on, elders. This is so super awkward. Is this on video? Oh, God, help us all. Do I still love Wendy? Do I still love Wendy? Am I clinging to Wendy? No. Because all these good things got in the way. I love y'all very much. So stay there. You're good. Stay there. Boy, that's a picture if you've ever had a chance to take a picture. Wow. So, so lots of times what we think is all these things are evil and bad, and we've made excuses about horrible things. There's not one of those excuses that was bad, not one. But every one of these things keeps me from clinging to Wendy. And what did David write in Psalm 63? Did you hear, did you hear the things that he said at the beginning? Earnestly, hey, Wendy, earnestly, I long for you. I long for you. And the only way to get there is to remember your first love. And it's not like these people aren't important. They're just not as important. Even my children, I love you. But this is what I want. Some of you, some of us, that's just a picture of our walk with Jesus, isn't it? Our first love, man, we remember when he saved us and he was all we thought about. And then family, job, church. Listen, like some of the stuff that you guys do as servant leaders, you're amazing servant leaders, but you've let that get in the way of your passion for Jesus. And so what you can't hear me saying this morning is just serve more and serve harder. That's not what this is about. This is about do you have the heart of your king? Because your king's heart is that if there's still room, go find people. So that they can have the same love that you have with him. And so this morning, some of us in the room need to repent. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, dude, you're preaching to the choir. I came to church this morning. Talk to the people that didn't come. Listen, I'm being as transparent as, as I can be as a pastor. The struggle as a pastor is real. You know why? Because committed churchgoers come to church two times a month. And this isn't about church attendance. It's just about, like, where's our priority, right? And if I only can make it here two times a month, does that mean that am I at least with the Lord daily at home? Am I pouring into that relationship? Or have I just filled things in so I can still see Wendy? And I can kind of remember what it was like, but... Man, it's like I'm trying to love her through all these people. Let's throw that stuff out of the way. And the writer of Revelation would just say, like, do whatever you have to do to remember your first love. Throw that stuff out of the way. Just close your eyes and bow your head. And I'm going to call you to repent this morning. 
just like as I was preparing this message, I mean, I, man, I haven't preached in three weeks, so that's been a month. I've been ready for a month to preach this because I was just ready to be done with it because God was just kicking my butt the whole time I'd read it. He's like, Paul, you got to get rid of excuses. Like your pride, your how you appear to people, what they think of you, that can't be as important as just me and you. So I am not laying it hard on you without God having first put it on me hard. It's been tough. Because, man, I make excuses. But this morning, I don't care if you're the youngest person here or the oldest. All of us make excuses. The question this morning is, are you willing to confess that to God and return to your first love? Earnestly, I seek you. I long for you. I cling to you. So this morning, will you just lay down the things that have gotten in the way of you and Jesus, just you and Jesus. And if there's things in your life you need to do that with, I just want you to raise your hand and say, that's me. I've got to repent. I've got to return to my first love. Thank you so much. Just right there where your hands are up, we're going to pray for you. Listen, if you've never followed Jesus, you've never made that decision, then this morning, this is your day. To say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm not going to make excuses any longer. I just want that love. I want the love of Christ in my life. I don't want anything coming between me and him. I want to be the poor that's brought into the banquet. Not the prideful man who thinks he's got in because he has an invitation and didn't show up. If you've never made a commitment to Jesus and you want to, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. I'd like to do that today. Anybody here this morning? It's me. I want, to make that, I want to make that commitment this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for grace. Man, we sang about that this morning, and I know that it can seem like such a weird word at the end of such a hard message. But listen, if you weren't full of grace, Jesus, you never would have shared that message with that room full of Pharisees. Because your heart was not to shame them, but to help them see that if they would just lose the excuses, there was a banquet waiting for them. And that's how it is with us, God. We drop the excuses. If we live without excuses, it means that we never live without hope. Because we are, whether we want to admit it or not, we are the broken, we are the lame, we are the ones who had no shot at the party. But you came for us anyway. And I love the part about how you compelled us to come in. I mean, we didn't volunteer for it. You really literally picked many of us up and brought us into your kingdom. That's what grace is about. And so I pray, God, that as we remove these excuses in our lives, not between us and working harder for the church or for the boss, but between us and our relationship with you, I pray that our personal devotion with you would explode, God. That we would find ourselves clinging to you again instead of trying to fight through a bunch of stuff to see you. And that we would return to our first love and find you worth it every single time. I pray that freedom over this house, God. I thank you for the promise of 1 John 1, 9, that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and you are just to cleanse us of all, somebody say all, all unrighteousness.
Heaven will be full of people who are not full of excuses. And I thank you that this room is full of people like that. In your name, Jesus, amen.